Hey there, John Morris here from johnmorrisonline.com, and welcome to another episode of The John Morris Show. And in this episode, I'm going to be answering another one of your questions that I received over on Quora.com. And so the question is, how do people generally become front-end web developers? Now, before I dive into the answer to that question, I want to remind you to stick around for a new segment that I'm going to be doing on the podcast. So brand new, fancy, shiny stuff today. Um, But be sure to stick around towards the end for the resource of the day. So this is a tool or resource that I use that I want to recommend to you. So be sure to stick around to the end of the episode for that. Also, if you haven't, be sure to head on over to my YouTube channel and check out all of the free training that I have there. And I have a number of playlists on all kinds of topics ranging from building your first website using HTML, CSS, and PHP, to uh, a whole tutorial on responsive web design, to my beginner's guide to PHP, uh, tutorials on MySQL, how to make money at freelancing, and a whole lot more. So all of that is available on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash John Morris video. And of course, I'll make sure to put a link in the description here to that channel. Finally, I'm also adding a new game for us to play on the episodes. And so the name of this game is the Did It Suck game. So I want to make sure that you now play the Did It Suck With Me game on this episode and every episode going forward. And so... You might be asking, well, what is the Did It Suck game? So it's very simple. First off, listen to the episode, of course. And then at the end, what I want you to do, I really want you to focus in on this. I want you to ask yourself, did that episode suck or did it rock? And if it rocked, then I want you to go ahead and hit that like button. But if it didn't, then I would like for you to refrain. And I mean it. If you didn't like the episode, don't hit the button just because you want to be nice to me. Okay. Now, the reason that I want to start playing this game with you is because I pay attention, and especially now, we'll pay more attention to the view-to-like ratio. So how many views a particular episode gets versus how many people actually go ahead and hit that like button. And that's going to tell me whether or not that episode was a dud or not, and then I can figure out why. And that's going to help me to gauge a couple things. A, the topics that I'm covering, which is important, but also how I'm going about delivering it. And so I can, when I have a benchmark for how to figure that out, I can go ahead and figure out what it is that you didn't or did like about a particular episode. Of course, you can always leave me a comment and let me know which would be much appreciated, even if you didn't like an episode and you want to tell me why. That's okay. That's fine. I appreciate the the feedback. Of course, if you loved it and you want to tell me how great I am, I'd take that too. But either way, please make sure to play the Did It Suck game with me. And if you like this episode and you get value from it, make sure to hit the like button. And if you don't, make sure you don't. Don't just be nice to me, okay? All right. So... (laughs) With that all out of the way, here we go. Let the game begin. 
Okay, so again, the question is, how do people generally become front-end web developers? First, I want to tell a little bit of my story because I think you'll probably resonate with it. And hopefully it can inspire you to keep moving and to put in even more effort and more action towards your goals as a web designer or web developer. So I didn't get into web design until I was almost 23 years old. And I didn't come from a family of tech heads. And I definitely didn't come out of the womb as some sort of tech guy that just knew how to code. I was more of a drock, jock slash construction worker type. And that's the kind of family that it really came from. All my older brothers played sports, were really good at sports. My dad was in the military. A lot of my older brothers were in the military. Their work at that time was a lot of construction work. That was kind of the, the, the mold and the type of family that I came from. It definitely wasn't a tech head type type family. For example, like you see Mark Zuckerberg on the social network being tutored how to code at age seven. That that was not me by any stretch. Now, that said, I always did have a passion for building things. And that was something that's always been been with me. Now, I say all of this because I meet a lot of developers who it seems like they think there's this innate geek gene that makes a great developer and you either have it or you don't. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. And my own experiences speaks to, to the opposite. So I believe that people can learn anything. And for myself, I believe that I am capable of learning anything that I want to, not just tech related, web design, anything. If I really wanted to learn it, I believe I'm smart enough to learn it, which I think is a key prerequisite for learning anything. You have to believe you can. You have to believe that you're smart enough to do it, which is frankly why you find that a lot of people who see themselves as smart end up as web designers and web developers because everybody thinks you have to be a genius. Now, those of us who've been doing this a while know that that's probably not the case. All right, so what it really comes down to, what really matters isn't can I learn it? You can. The question is, what do you want to learn? And so my point with all of this is that if you've ever had any self-doubt about whether or not you can actually do this, whether you're smart enough, I want to be the one to tell you once and for all, definitively, so you never question it again, you can. You can do it. And frankly, you don't have to be a genius to do it. Now, my guess is you're probably pretty smart. Anyway, if you're here listening to this show, of course, that makes you smart. But even just thinking of taking on web design and web development in general, my guess is you probably already see yourself as smart. And so that's a big key. And just know that you can do this. Now, it takes effort. It takes focus. And it takes persistence, and there will be times where you feel like giving up. But in those moments, I want you to remember back to this episode, and I want you to remember what I said. You are smart enough. You can do it. Don't give up. The biggest mistake I made coming up was for a period of time I gave up. And it was 
it cost me all of that time that I sat around not pursuing this dream. When I had I kept going, I would have gotten where I wanted to go a lot faster. So don't give up. Now, again, on this topic, another important point that I'd like to make is regarding the approach that you take to self-learning. Because a lot of the stuff that you're going to have to learn, you're going to have to teach yourself. There frankly isn't a great system in place for going to a school and learning this stuff. Uh, not the, the, the specific kind of cutting edge stuff that you're really required to learn to be able to develop web-based stuff in in 2015 it's just you know and beyond it's it's just not there so not at least in a formal setting so a lot of the stuff you're gonna have to teach yourself now i often see this debate about whether you should learn everything on your own by building things or whether you should get some kind of informal education online or even some university stuff if you can find it that most people tend to think you should do holy one or holy the other and i think that's a false dilemma i think you should do both and the reason is is classes whether they be online classes like some of the stuff i do here on youtube classes on udemy lynda.com all the ones that are out there or they be more formal classes that you might go to school for with classes, they can help you. They can help you learn things faster than you might because you have an actual instructor there to help walk you through things and present it to you in a way that helps you to understand it faster and can answer questions and so forth. And that's valuable. Um, and you, so you can learn things faster and you can pick up things that you might not have on your own. However, what you learn generally won't stick unless you actually build something with it, unless you, unless you actually do something with it. So my advice to you when it comes to how do people generally become front-end web developers is you should do both. I think you should take classes and you should also build stuff along with what you're learning in the class. So if you're taking a responsive web design course, you should be building responsive websites, whether that's on your own for your portfolio, whether it's your own site, whether you get some clients and, and do it that way. However you go about doing that, the class can help you learn it faster and building something along with it will make it stick. So in general, that's my advice. Now I want to get into an actual specific kind of step-by-step -step process that I would go through. So let me dive into some specific steps that I would take uh, in order to, if I could go back, what I would do in order to become a front-end web developer. All right, so let's start off with, let's just first start off with some tools that if you haven't downloaded and install, installed all of these yet, then these are some tools that you can use. Probably the best tool that you can use is Google Chrome. Now, I know I got some Firefox people out there already, and you can do a lot of this in Firefox as well. In fact, Firefox has some uh, cool stuff as well, but uh, Chrome is the one that I happen to use, and that's the one that I recommend. So download and install Google Chrome, and then there's a couple add-ons or, or plugins that it has that you would want to, to use. So one of them is the Web Developer 
icon, which has a lot of great stuff for web developers. The eyedropper uh, add-on, which is something I use probably every day. And then one called Mod Header. And then, of course, Chrome comes with probably the most important tool that you can use, which is the Inspector. So if you right-click and hit Select or Inspect Element, that's going to open in the bottom a whole array of different developer tools that you can use. And so uh, I would, you know, go ahead and do that and start playing around with that and see what it see what it does. Uh, the Elements tab is going to be a big one because it's going to show you actual all of the coding elements there. The console is another another one that can help you identify uh, errors, especially if you're working with JavaScript. You can see a lot of that stuff in there. So that's going to be one of the big ones that uh, you can use. Of course, you can also do this in Firefox. So Firefox has uh, some add-ons as well. They have a web developer toolbar, live HTTP headers, modify headers, colorzilla, user agent switcher, and of course it also has its own page inspector as well. So get a good browser, Chrome or Firefox, probably both because you're going to want to view your websites in both to see how they're how they're coming up and then install those add-ons. Next, you need to decide on your ideal development environment. So for most situations, you're going to need a text editor, a virtual machine, and an FTP client at a minimum. So you need something to write your code in. You need a way to be able to look at that code locally so you don't have to constantly upload it to some website. And then you need an FTP client so that when you are ready to make it live, you can do that. That's just kind of a bare minimum of what you're going to need. Now keep in mind that you also have integrated development environments that you can use as well for this. So we'll, we'll cover that here in just a second. So uh, Text Wrangler, Notepad++, Sublime Text, those are all popular text editors. There's a lot of new ones coming out. Uh, you may have even heard some of those, so you can check those out. I use Notepad++ for a long time. Uh, and then I switched to an IDE. Now I'm using the Chrome Dev Tools. So I've kind of gone back and forth, but th those uh, are all good ones that you can use. For VirtualBox and VMware are probably the most popular actual pure virtual machines. You can also use something like WAMP Server or XAMPP to run a, a local host on your local computer so that it will... Uh, process PHP files and, and files that, that need some sort of actual backend processing before it's sent to the browser. So those are some different tools that you can use. Uh, FileZilla is probably the most popular FTP client, which is the one I use. There's also CyberDuck. I've never actually used it, so I can't recommend it, but uh, I assume a lot of people use them like that one. And then as far as IDEs, again, there's a whole slew of them. I would say some of the, some of the more popular ones historically have been NetBeans, which I used for a long time. Uh, Eclipse is one that I, a lot of people talk about. And then PHP Storm is one that's, I've kind of been eyeing lately. I haven't actually gone in and done it, but it seems like they've been doing uh, a lot of upgrades and stuff lately. So that's something that I'm looking at. Finally, you also would want to consider some graphic design, some uh, software. Now, even if you don't plan on doing heavy graphic design yourself, uh, there's some tools that are helpful for developing mockups, and that'll allow you to 
you know, be able to create those for clients and send them um, without having to actually fully code something out. So Photoshop, of course, is the most common software. You probably heard of it. It's also fairly expensive. Photoshop is what I use. Um, I use their monthly deal uh, that they have now, the Creative Studio Online. It's a little more affordable uh, on a monthly basis, and I don't need the whole suite, really. I just have Photoshop, and that works well for me. There's also GIMP, so if you're on Linux or you just like open source software, GIMP is kind of a Photoshop alternative. And then another one that isn't necessarily a full actual uh, design studio is Mockflow, which is a pure wireframing tool that is really handy, and I've used that at some of the companies that I've worked with. So that's a handy tool as well. All right, so once you've got your tools kind of set up, you've got your environment set up and you're ready to go, the next, the, the first thing that you want to learn is HTML and CSS. Now, a lot of people ask, why do I want to learn that first? And the reason is, is when it comes to web development, pretty much any backend language that you use, whether it's PHP, ASP, Python, uh, you get into frameworks like uh, Ruby on Rails or you're using Ruby itself, whatever, the front end what you're going to be outputting is HTML and CSS. So you need to know HTML and CSS to do really do anything with web development. Now, I have a course on YouTube that will teach you how to build your first website using HTML and CSS. So you can head on over to uh, youtube.com slash John Morris video and you can see how to build a website from scratch. I believe the name is the playlist. You can see that right there on my channel page. That will teach you a good chunk, most of what you need to know in order to have a good grasp of HTML and CSS because we start with basic syntax and then we walk through building a website and actually show you how to build a website template by integrating a little bit of PHP in there. There's been a ton of people that have gone through that course and have gotten a ton from it. So you can head on over there and check that out. I also, there's a course on Udemy that I recommend that you can check out if you head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash resources. And again, I'll link to all this in the description. But johnmorrisonline.com slash resources, you can see that recommended course over on Udemy, which really once you've watched the playlist that I created and you want to then kind of take the next step and move on to a more advanced level, you would want to go into that course. So there's also a number of uh, different tutorials that are available over on webplatform.org. Their tutorials on HTML and CSS. Um, DemoThemes.info has a, a number of student exercises that are great as well. Um, DevDocs has a searchable interface for, for tags and properties for HTML and CSS, which is useful. And then beyond that, you want to get into responsive web design. So again, over on youtube.com slash John Moore's video, I have a full... Um, responsive web design course over there for free for you to check out as well and then once you've been through that you would want to download bootstrap and you'd really want to uh, um, start going through bootstrap and learning bootstrap and so forth and so uh, uh, getbootstrap.com is where you get that and and that that'll take you from just knowing basic html and css all the way through really what is a requirement these days and that's being able to build responsive websites and then using one of the more popular frames, frameworks out there, which is Bootstrap.
All right, after that, you would want to, I recommend going into JavaScript after that. And again, this is just another front-end language, and uh, it's something that can be, be very useful for front-end developers. So um, there's a number of different uh, ways that you can get started. One of the biggest recommendations that I make, however, is using a framework. So I recommend jQuery. Now there's lots of reasons why I recommend jQuery. I know you'll get your purists out there who say, don't use that framework, it stinks, or this, that, or the other. I don't get too caught up in that. jQuery is, uh, it's the first one that I came across. It was one of the more popular ones when it first came out. Um, one of the, I think it was one of the very first ones to come out like that, and then others have developed as a result. But uh, again, it's just one of the more popular ones. It's what WordPress uses for its JavaScript, so I'm familiar with it uh, because I do a lot of WordPress stuff. And again, it was just the first one that I came across and used myself, so I've been a lot more familiar with it. So uh, again, over on johnmorrisonline.com slash resources, I've linked to a JavaScript course over over there that's available on Udemy that I recommend that you go through. You can also, um, there's the actual jQuery tutorial on the jQuery site itself, which gives you a pretty decent primer on what jQuery is and you know what you use it for and how you use it. So I would recommend probably going to that jQuery tutorial first, then heading over to the course that I recommend um, over on johnmorrisonline.com slash resources because it's going to teach you both JavaScript and, and jQuery. And so just so you know, if you're not familiar, JavaScript is the actual programming language. jQuery is a framework uh, built on top of JavaScript that helps it to be, makes it a little bit easier to use. So it helps you write a little more concise code and it helps massage some of the issues that you can have between different browsers and how browsers, different browsers work and so forth. So that's what it's meant for. And it's a very handy framework to use. So that's what I would do next. After that, if you want to get into some of the more the uh, more advanced frameworks that are out there for building really ground up JavaScript applications, you can look at things like Backbone, Angular, Ember, Knockout. There's a number of them that are out there that you can look at and you really kind of have to look at each one and decide for yourself uh, which one you know kind of fits your style and, and how you want to work. All right so for front-end web development then that is you know you could you could kind of stop there if you wanted to and learn HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and, and that would give you a good base for front-end web development. However, I know I have a lot of people on here who are also into back-end web development, so I, I want to continue with what I would do next. So next, I would learn PHP. Now, I see a lot of people out there that recommend learning you know, Python or Ruby or any of the number other ones that are out there. Now, we could argue until we're blue in the face about which server-side programming language you should use. I personally recommend PHP simply because uh, last I checked, it owns about 82% of the market. So that means that 
websites running backend uh, programming languages like this, 82% of them that we know, of the ones we know that we can actually uh, identify what they're running, 82% are running PHP. So that means you're simply going to have access to a lot bigger market and a lot bigger market to get work from. Now, you can disagree with me if you want on that, and that's totally fine. If you know what language you want to learn, then by all means, go for it. So, uh, it, you know, that's kind of up to you, but my recommendation is PHP. Now, as far as doing that, again, on my YouTube channel, I have a beginner's guide to PHP. So, John Moore's on, or youtube.com slash John Moore's video. You can find that beginner's guide to, to PHP and start going through that. The one caveat with that is that the MySQL video in that particular series, it's an older course. And so I don't, I don't have any problem saying it's an older course. It was developed right around the time, just right before the switch from PHP 4 to PHP 5, if you remember when that was. Now, most of the stuff, because it's a beginner's guide in that tutorial, I'd say 95% of it hasn't changed. It applies as much now as it did then. However, the MySQL stuff doesn't. So you'll see a MySQL video on there. You, you can look at it for some of the conceptual stuff, but know that the actual code there has changed because PHP has added the um, MySQLi class as opposed to the procedural procedural functions that I was using in that video. And they've also added the uh, PDO, PHP Data Objects, which has support for other databases outside of MySQL. So uh, you'll, you'll want to use those instead of what I show you in that particular MySQL video. Now, as of right now of this recording, it's not true. However, I will be here very shortly uploading a full course I did on PHP and MySQL, which covers MySQLi, PDO, prepared statements, and so on. So uh, it's not there right now as of this recording, if you're listening to this the day it came out. However, um, if it's you know shortly afterwards, then go to, again, youtube.com slash John Morris video and look for a playlist that says PHP and MySQL 101, and that will teach you, that's essentially the fill-in for that MySQL video I have in the PHP course. So uh, you can learn all the, the MySQL stuff there. Also, um, one of the things that I recommend over on johnmorrisonline.com slash resources is the Complete Web Developer course by Rob Percival, which again is a Udemy course, and he in that course it's a an amazing course it actually covers all of this stuff so if you're looking for a a place to just one stop shop for html css php mysql he actually he does responsive design uh he does bootstrap he even does mobile apps as well so if you're looking for a one stop shop then that course um and you can again uh, go over to johnmorrisonline.com slash resources and see the link to that course, but it's a complete web developer course, then that course is a good one-stop shop, but it has a particularly great PHP section so that you can 
that's another series once you've gone through my beginner's guide you can go over there and again take that kind of next step into the intermediate to advanced level with that course all right after php then of course you would get into sql most likely mysql um, there are some other ones that are out there there's there's also no sql um, again it depends on your particular approach uh, I, everything that I've done and do is in MySQL, so that that's what I would be. That's what I would recommend. But you do want to get into learning, you know, SQL language, so that you can write the queries that you need to write and so forth. After that, then you want to look at application security. Now, uh, again, if you go through the PHP and MySQL 101 course that I'm going to have on my channel. Um, I talk a lot in there about prepared statements and prepared statements is a big one when it comes to you know SQL security and SQL injection and tax and so forth but that's not everything so you do want to look into application security now there's a um, a great piece of software called webgoat and essentially what it is is it's a download that will present you with a number of security scenarios and kind of give you examples and walk you through why those particular setups and scenarios are uh, are bad and insecure. So it's a great way of learning about application security using actual examples. So again, that's WebGoat. You can just Google WebGoat and it should come right up. Of course, the lesson number one of application security and probably the most important one is that you never trust user data. So if your application accepts user input, which pretty much every application does somewhere, that data needs to be checked and sanitized before ever coming close to a database or being output on a web page. So never trust user data and any sort of user data needs to always be sanitized before it's put in a database or displayed on a web page. Another thing, of course, that you'll have to pay attention to is spam. And reCAPTCHA is probably the the biggest thing out there for dealing with spam right now. So there are some other things out there like honeypots and so forth. Um, but I would say reCAPTCHA is probably still the most popular. All right. The final piece then, which I think some people probably wouldn't talk about because they like to stick to the technical stuff, but uh, I think is important, is getting clients. And I talk a lot about this that on this podcast. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, then again, go over to youtube.com slash John Moore's video, find the John Moore Show podcast playlist, and start going through there and looking at the different episodes that I've created because I talk a lot about uh, getting clients. But at some point, you're going to want to move beyond just building stuff for yourself and you want to actually get paid for what you're doing. And you know that could be freelancing, so building stuff for your own clients and building a freelancing career. It could be getting hired at a tech company. Uh, it could be building some sort of application that you sell. There's lots of different ways that you can get into monetizing your code, but at some point you're going to want to do that. Now, over at johnmorrisonline.com, I have a free cheat sheet that you can download called The 7 Strategies to Turn Your Code into Cash. 
So I actually cover seven different ways that you can monetize your code. I have a video that goes along with it that walks you through the seven different uh, methods and shows you what you need to do in each one in order to help monetize your code. So you can go over to johnmorrisonline.com and download that for free. But I also recommend looking at some open source projects and getting involved in those, whether it's you know something like WordPress or Joomla or whatever, and and get involved with those because getting involved with these projects can help you build a network, not only of other developers that you can start to build up a network of and interact with, but also you you know you'll start to meet and interact with potential clients and potential companies and so forth. So it can help you if you get involved and you're providing good suggestions and you're easy to work with and you know people see that you are able to, you know, write good code and so forth, then you can actually start to build a network and a reputation that you can leverage to however you see fit to get clients for freelance work, to help build some sort of application, to get hired at a tech company and so forth. So I would recommend getting involved with some sort of open source project. Uh, again, from my perspective, I would say WordPress is probably the most common. Um, and it does have the largest market share of all the content management systems. But really, anyone uh, you can get involved with. Alright, so that will wrap it up for this episode. A little longer than normal, but I really wanted to go through that and kind of cover the step-by-step process that I would go through to become a front-end and I kind of snuck in back-end web developer there as well. So the big question at this point is, how'd I do? Now, hopefully you haven't forgot that we're playing the Did It Suck game. So if you're still with me at this point, I want to make sure this is the point where you need to ask yourself, did this suck or did it rock? And if it rocked, please go ahead and hit that like button so that I know that you like this episode and I can create more like it. And if you really liked the episode, then don't forget to subscribe as well so you can get access to all of the future episodes that hopefully rock as well. As I mentioned before, you can also head on over to johnmorrisonline.com and download my free cheat sheet, seven strategies to turn your code into cash. If you have a question, you can ask me over on Quora. Just go to johnmorrisonline.com slash Quora and invite me to answer your question. Or you can tweet me on Twitter at JP Morris, and I'll try to get those questions on the show. All right, so now it is time for our resource of the day. And my resource of the day is this cool tool that I came across. And this is more for helping you with creating your content, creating your your services pages, and actually selling and marketing yourself. And the tool is what's called a headline analyzer and is created by CoSchedule, which is a, a tool for social media and um, helping you schedule social media posts and so forth. But they created this cool tool that will actually analyze your headline and tell you how good of a headline it is, and it'll has a really in-depth analysis of why it was great or why it wasn't so great and what you can do to improve it. Now, this is critical when you're creating content for the titles of posts, for what you post on social media to link to it. Uh, It's also critical for the headlines that you use on your services pages and so forth. So 
It's a really cool tool that will analyze your headlines and tell you what's right or what's wrong with them and what you can do to improve them. And so I've started using this for a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now um, because it, it, it really does seem to work. Um, and again, gives you a nice analysis of what you can do to improve your headlines, get more people uh, clicking through, more people seeing what you're doing, reading your services pages, and so forth. So if, uh, if you'd like to see that resource, again, you can head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash resources. You'll see that one along with all of my other recommended resources over there. All right, so thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.